0: Welcome to Exposed. Real people,
1: real stories, uncensored. You'll hear it all, as well as secrets from your host, Samantha X. On today's episode, I would like to introduce you to one of my favorite male escorts out there a wonderful, wonderful man called Samuel Hunter. Samuel, welcome.
0: Thanks for having me on the show.
1: How long have you been in the, the adult industry?
0: Only like three and a half years.
1: That's such a short time because when you said you started in 2020 or so, I thought, I swear you've been around longer than that, but you haven't really, have you?
0: No, it feels like it. It's been pretty crazy, busy time. It's been good, but still somewhat a baby escort in sex work world.
1: You did a great interview with SBS. About your story, and you've got quite an interesting story because you were working in a sex shop when you first started thinking about becoming a sex worker, yes, but I just want to take you back a bit before then. What were you doing working in a sex shop? Is that all you were doing, or were you studying?
0: No, look, I had come to the end of my payout of um, after my motorcycle crash, and I'd been trying to start up doing erotic short stories on Amazon. I'm really shit at those.
1: <laughs> Do you mean writing them?
0: Yeah, I saw a Post advertised for this adult shop. And I thought, oh, that's hilarious. I'll do that. Part of the job was having to write an 800 word blog for their website, something to do with toys or in adult lifestyle. So I kind of did my ironic stories there.
1: Perfect combination and get paid for it.
0: I had really zero idea about adult shops at the time. I was like most dudes who's very reluctant to go into those places because we feel threatened. Yeah. Now I got the training and I was like, oh, I love this. And I loved having that interaction with people and then building my knowledge and building up regular customers in the shop who were like, you know, I trust your opinion. So we've come in when we know you're working. It's
1: good. Yeah. What's the biggest deal though yeah. Did they give you training for this or did you just have to? Really- no, they kind
0: of like <laughs> just give me the, the walk through this guy who'd been at the shop for like 10 years. He explained it all and because he did a really great job of explaining everything. The only thing I kind of had to ask a question about it was what is that Big tub of Crisco for
1: <laughs> what is it? And what was it? For?
0: <laughs> it's for larger items and um, fists.
1: Look, I'm yeah. crossing my legs as we speak. <laughs> oh my <Yes>. god! <laughs> oh, okay. I don't uh, fists. Well, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? I can I can safely say that's never happened to me, and nor has I done that service on anyone.
0: No, but the thing is, your reaction there was the same as when I would take people on a tour of the shop, and we get to the dildo section they range from four inches up to 16 18 20 inches and girls would be like what how that doesn't fit in there and I kind of would say look pretty much (laughs) anything beyond an eight inch is not designed for that hole and then they're like oh oh
1: (laughs) So you became a connoisseur of um, dildos basically, didn't you?
0: I did. i was like, I've got all this knowledge. What can I do with this knowledge? I think that would be my Yeah
1: yeah, yeah. my
0: <laughs> potential retirement plan is to open up my
1: own adult shop. You could design your own um, dildos. Do you know I don't actually own one? Really? No, I don't. And even as Samantha, I never had toys. You know, I never had a suitcase of toys. And I remember sometimes being on jobs with other girls and they'd come with a suitcase yeah. full of stuff. And I think, shit, I'm such a bad escort. I don't even have, have anything. I've got my lipstick in my phone and that's about condoms and that's about it. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm
0: in Melbourne at the moment and <laughs> half my suitcase is toys.
1: Is it really? Yeah,
0: you know, I've got a bunch of impact toys and then just like a bullet vibe, a wand and a vibrating cock ring.
1: What's a bullet vibe?
0: Just a little vibrating clip
1: toy. Oh, okay, okay. I'm glad you you really don't. I really don't know. No, no, no. No, I I really don't have toys. No, I wasn't exaggerating. Samuel, how old are you?
0: I'll be 45 in like a few weeks.
1: And you've been in sex work for a couple of years, three years. And describe your personality to people. Like, are you outgoing? Are you like the gym buff? Tell me about who you are.
0: Firstly, is Jim Buff a personality?
1: I don't know. Well, I live in Bondi, so yes.
0: Yeah, Yeah, no, definitely not that. I'm introverted and extroverted. It kind of depends on the time. I can do the whole extroverted thing and then I like to be alone at my house for some time to recharge that social battery. I don't know. I guess I'm a creative kind of guy, I like to think.
1: And you've got a very suave look. You look like someone famous. Who's that person that everyone thinks you look like?
0: Uh, George Clooney.
1: Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. You've got that George Clooney look to you.
0: I think more Jeffrey Dean Morgan, but I think enough people don't know who that is. So
1: who's that? I'm going to Google that. I'm going to. He was
0: in The Walking Dead.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. When you spoke to the SBS or when they did a show on you, you said you had a dad bod. What do you mean by that?
0: Well. I- kind of embraced that term because when I was looking to get into this work, you know, everybody else on the platforms has just this ripped body and so I kind of, I didn't want to meet up with somebody and then take my shirt off and they're like, what is that? I didn't think I'm not (laughs) paying for that, put that away. (laughs) So I kind of embraced that term and a few people have said, look, you can't advertise a dad bod, this isn't a dad bod, it's just a bod and I'm like, well. That's
1: nice, yeah.
0: It's my label, I'm sticking to it.
1: Well, Women love a dad bod, whatever that means, you know, whatever that means. I think the too buffed look is a bit Intimidating for women as well.
0: I think so too. But also, I think a lot of women don't have that kind of. They don't judge somebody completely on those kind of aspects, which is something men often do. It's more about the vibe than the person.
1: Yeah, I think men are more visual than women are. You mentioned this motorcycle accident, but just before that, tell us about growing up, where you grew up, and and what your childhood was like, and whether you what took you into the industry. What kind of family? Wild, free hippies? Was you know, sex is love, love is sex, or were you? Quite conservative because I know for me, I grew up in a very conservative family.
0: It was pretty conservative, I'm the youngest of three boys and a single mum. Since pretty much when I was born, I was forced to go to private schools, which was pretty shit. Not my sort of people. You didn't enjoy that? I, no, no. So I dropped out, went into hospitality for way too many years. Like really, the journey that I did, in most sense of the word, never really led to this work. Although when I told some of the people who I knew from when I was a teenager, they were like, "What took you so long to get into this work?" I don't know. I guess sex has been a big part of my life, whether it's joking and talking about it or the actuality of it. But yeah, I mean, I don't think I could have done this in student.
1: Did you have lots of lovers, girlfriends?
0: I don't know. How long's a piece of string? <laughs> what do you relate that to?
1: Oh, I don't know. Were you or were you in long-term relationships, or were you just shagging around when you were young?
0: Both. I'd be in long-term relationships.
1: You obviously love women. I do. You, have you ever been engaged or married children?
0: Yeah, I got married in my late 20s.
1: We, Samuel, I don't think I knew this.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Did you really? When did you get married?
0: I don't know. I think 26, maybe. We married for five years. Basically, as soon as she turned 30, she started pushing the biological clock thing and the more I thought about it, the more I just went, I, can't, I don't want to be a dad. I don't want to have kids, which understandably was a deal breaker. And then, sorry, that's why we split.
1: Okay. So you must have been in your 30s then, and then you got a job in the sex shop eventually.
0: Oh, yeah. That was still nearly another 10 years later,
1: eight years later. You divorced and, and then what did your life look like? And let's lead up to the motorcycle accident.
0: I decided to quite significantly change my life. I took a job as a sales engineer and I moved up to the Gold Coast where I met another person who I was with for a few years and it was up there that I had my motorbike crash.
1: Okay, what happened with the motorbike crash?
0: I mean, without going into the, the boring lead up to it, but essentially I made a poor choice and I went to overtake a bus but I couldn't see what was in front in that lane. And so I had like two metres to stop my motorbike before going into the back of a bunch of parked cars. So I went inside on, put my, and my leg ended up between my bike and the car. Uh, So I had a compound tibia fracture. And then the last thing I remember was my face hitting the back of the car. And stupidly, I was wearing a open face helmet. That was it.
1: You must be out cold.
0: I was. I have a vague, brief recollection of being lying on the road and trying to stand up and somebody's telling me like hey buddy just just stay down I was like yeah that sounds good I apparently was awake uh, according to the ambulance report I was on the road for nearly an hour they just kept smashing me with fentanyl I was in too much pain for them to move
1: and how long were you in hospital for
0: Uh, I had a bunch of complications like I got uh, a pulmonary embolism so I had a week or two in the ICU but that first time all up, I was two months in hospital.
1: That would have been life changing and body changing.
0: Definitely body changing. It was worse because then for the next year and a bit, the metal in my leg broke three or four more times. I had to keep going back in for more surgeries. So I was about a full two years until I didn't need a wheelchair or a walking stick to be able to walk properly. Oh my
1: God. And Were you able to work in that two years?
0: I was starting to return to the retail job I was doing bit by bit, but then I'd keep being set back with it breaking, going back to hospital and going through the recovery again.
1: What was your mental health like at the time?
0: So a few months before the crash, I was misdiagnosed and I was put on Epilem as a mood stabiliser for what's that? Bipolar. Right. And when I got out of hospital the first time, they said, well, all this medication is going to affect your epilin levels. So we're going to up it and up it. And over the next few months, they put it up from 500 milligrams a day to 2,500 milligrams a day.
1: Oh my God.
0: So I mean, it's classed as a mood stabilizer, but really it's a downer. And so even all the mental health professionals that I saw at the time, none of them were like, oh, you've started self-harming. That must be this epilin. They just went, oh, that's weird. It's probably PTSD from the crash, not this medication.
1: So you were misdiagnosed. So do you, do you do you have bipolar?
0: No, that's what I mean. They thought I did. It looks like it's just ADHD.
1: I was diagnosed with bipolar and they put me on the mood stabilizers, and my dose was too high to begin with, and I was completely suicidal. So I completely relate to that. They just tweaked the dose a bit. It's much better. But yeah, it was really, I mean, I didn't get, leave the bed for about an, a year, I think, on and off. I was in bed just too depressed. Okay, so that was a life changing accident, and that would have affected you in many ways. Tell me about what happened then. So getting back on your feet, literally, as well, and working in the sex shop, you made you realize something about NDIS, didn't it, and disability?
0: You know what? I can see that connection there. But at the time, I didn't actually register that for myself. Like, I still then wouldn't take the disabled label because I kind of thought, well, there's People far more disabled than I am. I don't want to take that label away from them. I mean, you know, I have to get a boost put into every right shoe that I own because the leg length discrepancy is huge. Like I am, but at the time it, it didn't wasn't something that I went, oh, I know what that's like to go through. Like I read that article about the WRMF case, which is uh, the woman who was fighting the NDIS to include sexual services in her plan. Which she won and I spoke to my manager about it and she was like, Oh yeah. And she told me about touching Base and the documentary Scarlet Road. And I kind of gave it a lot of thought because, you know, being sexual is, is part of being human really. And for example, the shop I work in was, was like most in Sydney. It was up a bunch of stairs. It was completely inaccessible and you can buy toys online, but if you've got mobility issues if you've got a bit of issues with your hands etc you might not know that you can push that button in or that you can reach the toy where you need to so that's that's really the people who do need to go into a shop and hold the toy and go oh yeah that'll work yeah obviously i went further into thinking about just like the whole societal view on people with disability, which is that they're broken and need to be fixed and there's somebody to sympathize with, not just a human being of their own right. And so I kind of was like, well, I understand that need. And then like if somebody's in a wheelchair and needs help to get into and out of bed, if they meet somebody for the first time and they go home with them and they get put into bed, you're stuck there and you're at their mercy, so to speak. I could totally understand why that is a necessary requirement that kind of safe space, that safe service.
1: How did that go from I have compassion and empathy and understanding of how disabled people must feel into I'm going to therefore provide a service for these people? What was it that made you decide to be a male companion?
0: Well, I wondered if I if it was something I could do of myself and provide that service. And then I kind of thought I don't know how many people are offering that service either. And especially at the time I thought, yeah, I think I could, do that, I just don't know if anybody would actually book me.
1: <laughs> don't worry. I think, I think we all think that. <laughs> yeah. What research? you yeah,
0: looked around the, the internet as much as I could. I did find a thesis somebody had written about women who pay for sex in Australia. So I read that. Oh, wow. Which interestingly is like what they talked about in terms of the sort of clients who do Higher workers, I should say. You know, years later, when I found out, oh, so where I was working properly, I was like, oh, these are the total opposite of the clients I've seen. I see very few married women. Really?
1: Yeah. Okay, that's interesting.
0: Looked around like that and just tried to get an idea of what people were doing. And then it's weird when you look at what other people are putting out and then you go to put onto paper or onto a website to market yourself as a product. It's a weird.
1: Experience. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. And I thought, God, uh, I looked on some of the websites and thought, all oh, these women look the same. How am I going to stand out? How am I going to be different? And also, I was a lot older than half the women there, which I now think is probably an advantage to be different from everyone else. But everyone has their own uniqueness. Forward, wind. You've established yourself as an escort. You've you, you decided to become an escort. And did you have an apartment, or did you? invite clients over to yours or how did it work? Well, how does it work now?
0: Between the idea of doing it and then the actual doing it, there was like a year difference there.
1: Because of anxiety or?
0: 2019 was a really shit low year for me because I didn't have a great deal of shifts in that adult shop. I was kind of struggling week to week. And one of the things that I did is like, well, I've got to stop paying this amount of money for and every month. And so I started cutting it down over time. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm starting to feel things again. <laughs> I'm no longer dark. And Wow. I think for a month or two, I kind of spent a lot of time on my own in my shitty little apartment, just reflecting on every decision I'd made in the last five years, which was all influenced by being on such a high dose of, dose of epilim.
1: Oh, that's amazing. You managed to get yourself out of it?
0: Yeah, I guess.
1: Okay, so you were off the limb, and then things started to improve?
0: Yeah, and I actually started having a better outlook. I got more at hours in the outlook shop, so that always helps when you're not stressing about what you're going to eat that week.
1: What made you feel ready to actually take the plunge then? If it's been a year, what was the trigger?
0: It was actually the whole COVID thing. Okay. Took some money out of super. I moved closer towards Sydney and I started getting everything ready for my website, but at the same time I trained up and started doing disability support work as well. So it was COVID kind of gave me that chance to get out of that little bubble I was stuck in.
1: Okay. And so you started working with disabled men and women?
0: Yeah. To start with, I kind of did you know that drive people to appointments, take them out to social gatherings, that sort of stuff. And then one time I turned up. At a client's place, and the morning care worker hadn't arrived. Then I learned to do the whole transfer out, shower, her, toilet, her, dresser for the day, etc. And you know, she was like, you know, I know this isn't what you do. We can just leave it. And you're like, I'm not going to leave you sitting in your bed all day. So then I started doing that for her three days a week.
1: Okay, and so tell me about the first client you had, Samuel, as Samuel, as your escort personality. Were you terrified?
0: The first booking I had was meant to be on a Saturday afternoon. And then I got a last minute call on a Friday, the day before it, for somebody wanting a three hour booking. So I didn't really have time to be stressed. I kind of raced home and got ready and got down to their hotel. 10 minutes in, they were like, Oh, can I actually change this to a overnight? And I was like,
1: next week. Well, what was the client like?
0: A little bit crazy. <laughs>
1: That always helps. How kind of crazy!
0: Well, no, no. Like as in, they ended up booking two more overnights that week, which was great at the time. Oh my They'd god! Got a bit obsessive and would call all the time, and I kept saying, "You've got to stop calling me. I don't take phone calls." Which they would not listen to, and like, your
1: first client, yeah. Oh no! How much do you charge for an overnight?
0: Back then, like very little. I think it's about the same as what my two-hour rate is now.
1: What's that? Just to give people an idea of what mail escorts charge. A grand. Okay. For two hours.
0: Yeah. And I don't get many two-hour bookings. Usually it's longer.
1: I mean, that's pretty amazing. So you were were getting a few thousand dollars and compared to you struggling for so many years, it must have been like, wow.
0: So I had that overnight on the Friday night and I had the two-hour booking on the Saturday afternoon. But before I got to that booking, somebody else reached out to work for me to go to them on a the Saturday night. And I was like, oh, you know, I've got that job. And I said, oh, you know, how about next weekend? Because otherwise I wouldn't be able to get to yours till like 10 p.m. And they went, 10 p.m. is fine. I was like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> so I had three clients in the first 24 hours. And then when I got home and it was like... It was still super hot for some reason and I was like looking at this money, sweating from a mental 24 hours and I was like, this is, <laughs> this is more money in 24 hours than I had made in a month with sales commissions at the adult shop. This is ridiculous.
1: And that's how it hooks you in, right? Yeah. There's no other job, I don't think, unless you're a Hollywood actress, that you could earn so much money in such a short amount of time, especially when you're not used to it. I know what men are like. How did you manage to perform in 24 hours for three different women? I mean, was it a struggle?
0: Yeah, I mean, there was that whole, this is all very new excitement level of things going on. That definitely helps. There was a blue pill helper for the Saturday night, that's for
1: sure. <laughs> <laughs> were they all different personalities, these women? What were oh, they yeah, like? So like with, tell, tell us about these women, these
0: personalities. They're all very different. All quite rare now, especially, but all were younger than me. And one was the youngest client I've ever seen. She wanted that whole age age play thing. 23, I
1: think. Why were they seeking a male escort? Why were they paying for sex? Why did they see you? Were they all single?
0: No, that first client was not. And I know that for a fact because I got a call a week later from her husband.
1: Uh, (laughs) Saying what?
0: He was actually pretty good about it. He asked about and he gave some description of the person. And he's like, I know this might sound weird, but did you see this person? And he's like,
1: Oh no.
0: I've got nothing against you. I know you just offer a service. I just need to know the truth. And I'm like, Sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, discretion part of the job.
1: So you didn't dobber in? No. That's good. I've been called by a few wives before. It's not a pleasant conversation, is it?
0: If the issue is is the taking it out on you and not the partner doing the cheating.
1: Yeah. Tell me, let's just speak generally now about your clients. What, what if, if someone was to ask you, what are your female clients like? What's your answer?
0: I'll give it a different thing. And when I worked in the adult shop, people would ask me, what kind of people come in and buy from you there? And I'm like, the same people who shop at Woolies. It's, it's everybody. You know, We all have this idea of what creepy people buy stuff from adult shops and what kind of person must pay for sex. But it's not about having to pay for sex. It's about choosing to. It's about... Having these things on your own terms, not wasting time on dating apps, knowing that it'll be a satisfying end to the night, not some typical letdown experience with a cis male. You know, like it's just that's probably the main thing I'd say about clients is it's definitely not a they must have to pay for sex. No, they don't.
1: A lot of corporate women?
0: I don't know. Define corporate. <laughs> you know, there's people who I see who, you know, they work in officers in the CVD, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's the person who you think of when you think of a corporate woman that hires a sex worker.
1: Do they complain to you about dating? What are some of the things they say about men?
0: They won't just sit there and complain about dating. They might, you know, in the first meet kind of say, I gave the apps a go and it was just, it was a waste of time. Um, and it just fucked. And it's, Like it's not necessarily just a sex part where guys drop the ball. I mean, it's that as well. But just in general, this entitlement that they have, these expectations, sending dick chicks and just the way they behave in general. And so like I'm pretty dark on guys in general at the moment because obviously I hear a lot from my clients. Most of my close friends are women and so I've heard their shitty experiences and I'm just like, dudes, do better.
1: What do you think is going on? Do you think men are getting worse, or do you think that women are have got higher expectations now and not so afraid of being on our own?
0: Yeah, that could be a good one. The, the last part there that could be about right, and that you know, because men are are always a bit slow to learn, they might catch up in another five or ten years, maybe. But I think that sounds fairly spot on. Like I do have a lot of people who I meet, say for the first time, will say they've kind of realised that they've put their own needs last for decades, sometimes. And they've kind of then gone. Hey, wait a minute! What's um, what about me? What, what I want, my needs met.
1: I mean, I know when I was an escort, clients would connections are a massive thing for men, and and they're, because you know women are so connected with their girlfriends, and we talk about stuff all the time, and men really don't. So a lot, most of my bookings were talking and listening. Is that the same with you and female clients, or do they want more sex?
0: It's kind of both. You know, it's. Uh, like probably my most common booking is a four-hour, which is split half social, half play. Right. Whereas yours, I don't, I don't know, but I think you might have the connections in your with male clients who it might be ninety percent is that connection and the chatter, and then ten yep. percent play.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes, if that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but women can like just come and come and come and come, and you're like, all right, I'm. I'm getting sore, but yeah. yeah, let's let's go. We can keep going. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Have you ever walked out of a booking or, or cut a booking short?
0: Just one, I think. What happened? So they broke a boundary and I pulled them up on it and kind of called them out on it. And then they just...
1: May I ask what the boundary was?
0: It wasn't a big deal. I'm just not going to share it. But then it was how they behaved to me. Okay. To me enforcing that boundary. They just... I don't know. It was this really juvenile reaction, and then started to kind of say to shift it around. And I uh, went, That's that this none of this is relevant to just what I asked for for you to not do that. Yeah. And you have gone a whole different path. I guess in the industry, we call that uh, sure. that I fired them. So.
1: Right. You fired. Yeah. Yeah. Fair.
0: That's the only person this year who's done that. So that's a nice start.
1: The most memorable so far, the most memorable experience you've had with a client and you're laughing there. Go on, tell me.
0: Well, no, I'm laughing because like there could be a hundred different variations of that, of what <laughs> makes something memorable.
1: What's the one that springs to mind? could be negative or positive, but um, go for whichever comes to mind.
0: Well, look, I mean, it, it'd be hard to say that you know, having, a I think, 10 days in Phuket with a client, you know, that's kind of out there.
1: Was that hard?
0: Uh, no, because we, you know, we had a good connection. We got on, and they also were quite happy to go off and do things on their own throughout the day, so I'd have enough time in between.
1: Well, is it hard sharing a bed for ten days with a client?
0: <laughs> yeah, it can be. I, I really like my sleep, and I'm a bit of a snorer, so I don't, I don't actually advertise <laughs> that I do. I don't advertise do that you, I do overnight do anymore. You refund it? I'm like, I'd just rather sleep.
1: (laughs) I know. Samuel, I'm with you on that. No amount of money is worth disturbing our sleep, right?
0: (laughs) Look, even even on the rare times that I have somebody over in my personal life, at the end of it, one of us will either go home or like I'll go to the other room. I'm like, I like to sleep all night. Right. See you in the morning.
1: Yeah. You can understand why couples have separate bedrooms, don't you? Totally. That's a good point actually. What about dating in the real world? I mean, we say real world, but we know what yeah, that means. Do yeah. you have any interest in dating? I don't. Is that because of the job?
0: It's a little bit of a, a shit experience in my last big relationship and I kind of was like, That's not that's not worth repeating. Right. But the job, I guess, it ticks a lot of boxes that people get out of relationships. You know, I do have that intimacy. I do have, you know, clients I see quite regularly. We are enough involved in each other's lives that we can f- kind of pick up on where we are and what's happening with each other you know, every few weeks when we see each other, the intimacy part. And then and I, I don't even necessarily mean the sex, just that skin hunger being fed. And then I'd also, I don't know, I don't think most people who are in the, the real world, as you put it, in the civ- civilian world, really understand the job. Like I don't think many people would necessarily be okay with dating a sex worker.
1: Have you had experience with that?
0: No, I have had many stories from my female peers who might date somebody or date a client, for example.
1: Have you fallen in love with a client? No. Has a client fallen in love with you?
0: Possibly. Look, I think with all the, the hormones that are released in these kind of situations, I think uh, it Could be easy to find those kind of feelings or to fall into them, but it's also kind of acknowledging that it is just hormones raging through your body, endorphins, all those Mm -hmm. happy things going on. So it's possible, but it also, if they've fallen in love with me, it isn't necessarily me. Like Samuel is pretty much who I am, but it's not completely who I am. I get to be this idealized version of myself. This semi-perfect version of myself for you know like a four-hour stint <laughs> and then you know the rest of the time I'm not that person at that kind of level.
1: It's easy to get burnout isn't it? I, I found that it's quite it's quite draining if you were you need to have a break from seeing clients.
0: Yeah I'm uh, just coming into uh, I've cut down to four working days a week you know, just to have that better
1: mm-hmm.
0: balance uh, and I don't see more than mm-hmm. one person a day because that's just too much on you on the mental emotional load
1: okay talk to me about stigma and i've often wondered is it do you get i mean i presume your friends and family know what you do because you're face out yeah they all do yeah they all do and what's the reaction been like or what what, how have people are you judged for it
0: no because i'm a man you know very aware of that i think i put that in that article as well you know i tried like i if i meet Guys mm. out in a social setting, I will try to not say what I do for work because they, they'll be like, yeah, high five, man, and they'll be the same person that call a woman a slut or a whore just who walks down the street, not like let alone if it was an actual female sex worker who they would judge. Yeah, it's it's quite different. And even most women who, if I've mentioned it, they don't seem to go, oh, that's that's messed up. What are you doing that for? And I understand it's because I'm a man. That's the society mm. we live in.
1: Yeah, it's definitely like that. I mean, even in the press and the media, it's um male escorts are not given the same language as female escorts, no. female sex workers. I mean, you don't hear male escorts being called prostitutes. They're more gigolos, aren't they, Elon? more It's more like the fun stripper magic, whereas if a female stripper, it's, it's dirty, whereas male strippers are fun, the hens do, you know. It seems to, it hasn't changed, actually. Do you think, what, what do you think about that?
0: I think that's very accurate. I just saw a thing that was put out today, another male escort doing some media, and in the comments, somebody was like, oh, I'm so glad that you had this amazing experience as a cis male in this industry, as a, while we're all completely stigmatized, and I can't believe I mm. get that.
1: Exactly. Okay, we're going to go to the top three reasons, in your opinion, women pay for sex. What do you what, what? What are the top reasons women pay for sex? Because, like you say, these are women that can get. It's not hard for women to get sex. Yeah, like so, it's not hard.
0: Especially when I first started doing this. Like, if a guy said, you know, asked about work, and I, it was, I'd met them enough times, and I said, this is what I'm doing. They'd ask the same question. They'd be like, why would a woman pay for sex? They could just go to any pub and get sex for free. And I'm like, yeah, but they're getting your sex, which is very unsatisfying. <laughs>
1: Educating these men,
0: Samuel. What? No, because like some of these guys, they're just beyond help. Because <laughs> that's, you know, guys have this, it's about how quickly they can get what they want, which is put their dick inside of a woman. So they're like, oh, this is the least amount of foreplay I need to do. Foreplay, I hate that word. So I can get to my end. Why would a woman want that? I mean, I, I've heard enough times, actually mostly just in the last six months, and it's a bit troubling. It, it's like a, it's kind of a, a a compliment, but it also, I get a bit saddened by it is that a woman will say, um, I didn't know it was meant to feel like that. And I'm like, I'm talking about women who are maybe 50 and it's like, Fire out. how'd you get through life and not know that your body can do this and that you can feel that like your clitoris is literally only for pleasure. Unlike like a penis, it's also where we, we out of is just pleasure and to have gone so long without experiencing that I don't profess that I necessarily do magic things I just think most men are so shit at it that <laughs> it, it, it's pretty easy to, to look amazing when everybody else is doing really shit <laughs>
1: See so you batting off a low bar, but, but you know it's all. I, I hear what you're saying, and and I, and, I, and I agree with you. However, I also think it's up to the women also to be to be confident with them themselves, to be vocal about their pleasure, what they want. I think a lot of people in general feel quite shy, not telling and not knowing their own bodies. Therefore, it's really hard for someone to understand their bodies.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. And um, because of the scenario, you know, we have to have a very open discussion about consent. And if they are a bit funny about communicating their needs, I might say something like, you know, I don't bite me sort of thing and don't pinch my nipples. And by kind of giving an example of like, you know, this is everyday stuff. Every time you have sex, you should be having this conversation regardless of who it's with. It kind of helps them go, oh, wait, mm. I can, yes, I can make this kind of, I can have this conversation about my wants and needs. And mm. maybe it's also that I'm paying this person. If they're not doing it how I like it, you know, I want what I'm paying for, so can you just move it slightly to the left or a little higher, a little softer, a little harder? <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Because you know, you want what and mm. whereas like, you know, in, in the real world you might not want to say that. And especially like if it's a one night stand, a lot of people will just go, Oh whatever, I'll just bear through it, it'll be over in four minutes.
1: Four. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> um <laughs> well, you know, I'm fifty soon and I grew up not knowing what even consent was. Yeah. You know, we didn't no, we did not have those discussions and it probably wasn't only until I became Samantha that I started to realise I could say no to stuff and I I can have boundaries. Yeah. And the irony is it took me to be a sex worker to realise that.
0: Sex workers are the like consent is our profession. Yes. There's also a misbelief that paying for something, by receiving money, we consent to everything. That's not the case. We are still autonomous and so we can say no to what we want. And if you know we've set our boundaries and those boundaries are broken, we're withdrawing our consent from that. You know, that's, money doesn't just define
1: consent. Very uh, no, ex- and sex workers can get raped and assaulted. Absolutely. Do you see yourself giving this up one day and settling down and having children and... Doing the things that society tells us is normal to do.
0: Well, I'm nearly ten years into a vasectomy, so children are definitely off the
1: oh.
0: off <laughs> so the future nice. plants then. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you could always reverse it, but yes. Seems like the intent's not there.
0: Yeah, correct. Right. I don't know. And it's been you know, going from that where I was at in two thousand and nineteen until kind of a realization just within the last few months i've i realized that i've been in this just work hard don't go back to where you were in 2019 and i've been doing that and realized that i've kind of just been all about work and i've kind of lost track of what i want to do when i'm not at work hence why i've cut down to the four days a week because i've got that stability that i can do that and that i'm not in this survival mode that i was in and in 2019 where I didn't know like there was no point in having a hopes for a future because you kind of didn't know how you're going to get through till next week you know and I think I've been realizing this year that that's I'm still in that headset and so so as opposed to when you know will I hang up the belt I guess maybe when people <laughs> stop wanting to pay me in the, for the for my time mm-hmm. that would be the big one uh, I've got a few other little side projects I'd like to get going but
1: you're writing a book
0: I am <laughs> I am it's something that we've mentioned in the last hour that I won't go into detail about.
1: Okay, all right. I can't wait to read it. Just with women listening to this and thinking, oh, I'm a bit nervous about booking a male escort because there, there are lots out there. Most men think they can be a male escort because they like having sex. What, um, but not doesn't mean every man... Should or, or should be an escort? What kind of advice would you give to women who are looking for a male escort online? What's some red flags? What's some go tos? Just just help women who might be nervous, too nervous during this. Just give them some advice.
0: There are a few things that um, clients have emailed me about that specifically was the the big green tick for them on my website that I kind of want to share out there, but at the same time I then don't want those. Shitty male workers to go. Oh well, I'll just do that and and get in that way. So look, I guess it all comes down to do as much research as you can, Mm -hmm. which especially includes social media. Like, look at their interactions with people. You know, how do they respond to things? Mm -hmm. What are they posting now? Get a proper feel for the person.
1: So on Twitter or X, as it's called, and Instagram.
0: Yeah, you can get away with it more on Instagram. Facebook, I think, would be harder because of their guidelines and. Also the way that Facebook works is you know if you like a post it'll turn up in all of your relatives' feeds so it's probably not a great way to connect with clients yeah
1: <laughs> Okay so Twitter or X as it's called now is a, is a good one. I remember when I was working everyone was on that. I don't know if they still are.
0: Yeah I find uh for my demographic Instagram seems to be better. Lot, mm-hmm. I think a lot of women workers are on Twitter because you can get away with showing more off. More nudity, more teasing, whereas on mm-hmm. Instagram you'll get locked for that. So I think that's the reason Twitter's popular for female workers. But yeah, really just do your research. Like before you asked me about my pricing, you know, that's mm-hmm. I definitely did not start anywhere near this price. So kind of look at, you know, what your budget range is. And then I guess the other thing is testimonials on advertising directories or on their websites. Just pay attention to like how often Could those are they be desti- made up though? Yeah. I think people get a good feel for that. And especially if somebody, if there's like, you know, this testimonial kind of once a week from different people that just sound like a continuation of the website and you're like, oh, there's there's a familiar pattern here.
1: The writing, yeah, yeah. The writing style's the same. The spelling mistakes are the same. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I, I say that, but I did, I did get a testimonial recently and it was this beautiful and really long one. And I was like, oh, this is like, this is better than my ad. Somebody's going to read this and go, oh my God, this is a bullshit testimonial. And and that's fine. You can have that guess. And then you can go look at all the other and kind of go off that. But yeah, there's definitely bullshit testimonials because also a lot of people don't want to leave a testimonial. No. We might prompt them and ask them or offer a discount if they will for the next session. But it's yeah. still not necessarily something people want to share. Like when you yeah. see that there are some people who are quite new who have all, all these testimonials, like, you know, eight in the first month or something, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's nice. As if that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. That's your, your mum and your auntie. Yeah. I mean, I used to say to clients, can you not leave me reviews? I didn't like to be reviewed, but that was my business. I just didn't like it. I didn't like it. I, Yeah, it wasn't for me, but I definitely think with men, it's a good advice for women. Yeah, because it it can be a dangerous situation in a room with someone that you don't know.
0: I don't recommend any, like it would be very hard for me to recommend a male escort that I didn't personally know quite well Mm -hmm. or have worked with um, because, Mm. you know, I've met Mm. met quite a few and they've seemed very nice, but I don't know what it's like to be a woman on my own in a room with that person, and I never will, so it's not really something I can...
1: Yeah, I want women to to, to listen to this and to be inspired to see you and to be inspired to see a male escort and because, you know, I don't think they want to feel like, oh, I don't know if I should, you know, I'd like women to, I mean, obviously, I'm going to get a lot of inquiries about you, Samuel, and I want to pass on your details, if that's okay.
0: Yeah, (laughs) There, there, there is. This sounds arrogant, but there's like a three-month wait at the moment. Like I've got 90% booked. Till-
1: so you've got a three-month waiting list, Samuel, is that yeah, it's,
0: right? I'm about 90%, 95% booked out till the end of February at the moment. And what is it? Late November now. And especially That's weekends. Incredible. Look, it's not all work. There are a few occasional Saturday night with friends, for example. But I mean, I know women don't have that. They have a lot of, as in female workers, they get a lot of last-minute inquiries. But for me, it's... You know, women are organized and that makes my life a lot easier because I can plan out well in advance.
1: <laughs> That's a credit to you though, Sat. Well,
0: I'm taking bookings for, you know, kind of March now. Um, but I do have there is one booking already for next June and one for next October.
1: Oh my god, are these women O C D control freaks or what?
0: <laughs> well, you know, they might not live <laughs> in my area, so it's about when they know they'll next be in the area. So
1: yeah. Ah. Uh... Okay, so the booking in June, is that just a regular overnight or?
0: Yeah, it's an overnight. um, I think they've locked that in because it's their birthday. We're trying to get it
1: in now. Oh, that's lovely. My clients became, I became really close with them, you know, and even now I've retired, I still speak to them a lot. I miss them, you know, because it's it's a real genuine connection. For me anyway, it was, and for them, and, you know, it's not just all faking it for the money, is it?
0: No, I don't. I don't, and I think a lot of people don't understand or buy that necessarily, but it's like, I guess for me, if I'm you know, in that time frame that I'm with somebody, because people have asked me, like mates have said, oh, you know, do you have to think about, you know, starting your handsome in the booking or whatever? I'm like, no, that's the worst thing I could do. Like I have to be absolutely present and like, I guess be like, I don't want to be anywhere else in the world right now than right here with this person and enjoying everything that's going on. Because otherwise, for starters, some of my body may not be reacting well if I don't. And you know, if you're not present and enjoying that time, then you're going to be there watching the clock going, oh, God, is this over yet? And that sounds horrible. Nobody wants that experience, worker or the client. And it is because you do have these very intimate moments. You do share each other's lives, especially those clients you've seen for a few years. Yeah, you do miss them. You do look forward to seeing their name on the calendar in three months' time. (laughs) But yeah, I th- and and so <laughs> like if I compliment a client on something, they'll, they the most common thing they will say back is you have to say that. And I'm like, no, because I'm really shit at lying. So if I didn't believe it, I just wouldn't say nothing or I'd say "That's those are nice earrings. I shouldn't give that example because I did work in a jewelry shop for a while and I do notice jewelry. So I shouldn't say if I compliment your earrings, it's because I've got nothing else to compliment. That's a lie. <laughs> but I'm saying I won't give a bullshit compliment because that's, I don't like that. Like, same as I don't like talking dirty in the bedroom, it takes me out of the moment. It's not, it's, it's this fake kind of thing that I'm not into.
1: Ah, okay. Interesting. Do lots of women ask for that?
0: No, not a great deal. Um, I have noticed a few regulars are kind of starting to try to, I don't know, is it, is it describing what's Amped going up. on? Yeah. And I'm like, I recognize what you're doing and I, just, I hate doing it myself. It just sounds. Hey, I don't
1: know. it's not. It's not me. Jarring. Could be good uh, material for your erotic fiction, though, Sammy.
0: <laughs> I've just recently reread some of that erotic fiction, and it was it's just as shit as I remember. So, I will not be bringing that back out. Although, although I do have a good uh, erotic version of *Twas the Night Before Christmas*, and I may, I may be rolling that out in the lead up to Christmas in a few weeks.
1: <laughs> Please do. Uh, I need a bit of a thrill a thrill in my life now that I'm not working. What are some of the gifts that you've, you get from clients?
0: First of all, like when I did that research before I started, I was like, oh, everybody puts gifts up. So I put gifts up. I never thought it would happen. You know, I get a lot of handmade, handwritten cards, which I love. I get some bottles of my favorite alcohol or my favorite perfume. I have a very nice tag watch. that's gifted to me. And then uh, some other label items that I won't necessarily describe. But one is like an Hermes band, which is quite nice. I dig out for some occasions. So, yeah, they're kind of all over the place. Oh, and some of the, the Kim Manning artworks, erotic artworks that I've got on my wall. Quite about, Probably half of them have been gifts.
1: My final question. A man listening to this thinking that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to jack in the job and be a male escort. What is your advice to those men who think they can do it or who want to do it?
0: So I actually put a post on my Insta not a couple of months ago about this. But basically it's asking yourself why do you want to get into it? If your answer has you in your answer then it's not for you. Like before you said about a lots of men who enjoy sex and decide to that they should do that. Well every man enjoys sex. But it's not about your enjoyment. But it's being able to, you know, do have the sex that somebody else wants without your needs on the table at all. Look, when I first got into this, I told my best friend, "I'm like, I'm, I'm imagining my job to be the three C's, which is conversation, cuddles, and (laughs) cuddlingus." You know, I kind of went,
1: "Cock wasn't in there."
0: If if a woman's paying for sex, yeah, like if a woman's paying for sex, what? She's not going to want to go down on the guy. She's not going to want this and that and. Those are definitely part of my job, but absolutely not what it is. But whereas the, I think too many guys go, yeah, I can do that and then, you know, have sex with all these women. It'd be awesome, but that's not what it really is. So I think, yeah, my advice would be, why are you doing it? Or when I, when I started, it, here's a good challenge, men. Uh, when I started there's a woman who worked at a brothel, she suggested, Go down to your local shopping centre, look at every single person who walks by and ask yourself if you would have sex with them for money. And I think that would get rid of most of those guys who have an idea of what being a man in this industry is because they will judge it on people's looks and not about that person's needs, what they want, who they are.
1: That's great advice. Thank you, Samuel Hunter, for your time. Where can people find you for your three-month waiting list?
0: (laughs) Samuelhunter.com.au is my website Great,
1: and Instagram, I love your Instagram
0: Uh, I think all the links can go be found from my website But my Instagram is Samuel underscore Hunter underscore
1: Sydney Thank you Samuel, I really enjoyed our chat
0: Thanks for having me on the show You're welcome Thanks for listening to Exposed If you enjoyed this
1: episode, there's plenty more to come Episodes are released fortnightly and hit follow so you don't miss out. And for more goodness from your host, visit the show notes.